Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So it's the final day of our daily tennis podcasts from the WTA Finals. We're also going to, of course, cover the Paris Final. My word, what a week we've had. And we sit here in a proper spit and sawdust pub. Uh, what's it called, Catherine? Bricklayer's Arms. This is my local. The Bricklayer's Arms. It's a pub that runs out of beer whenever Fulham play at home. Fantastic. Which w- is... Mm, if anyone from the Bricklayer's Arms is listening, it's slightly disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> when I walked in, two people uh, over there were, were playing Monopoly, which is not something I expected when I walked into the pub. It's a pub with uh, dog biscuits on the bar, right. which is really all I look for. I wonder why you seem so happy. Here. We've already had a chat with a greyhound, haven't yep. we, Catherine? Have yeah. Okay, right. Deep dive on the backstory of the greyhound okay right so anyway we've got our beers we're ready to go we've had finals uh, we've had doubles finals and we've got loads to talk about we haven't had matt for 24 hours so we've got lots to cover with matt i feel like i've returned to a scene of a trauma after yesterday's fulham and it's only 24 hours later and it's a bit too soon to be back in putney back in fulham yeah to clarify we are we can practically see craven cottage from this pub it's on the other side of the river but it is you can you can hear the cheers when there are cheers they weren't yesterday from where we are yeah and that was a nil three scoreline correct it was awful it was absolutely awful right okay Uh, i think we better not dwell on that folks (laughs) right so let's start with the wta finals final which has crowned ash barty not only as the world number one and a grand slam champion this year but she is the champion in shenzhen in its inaugural year in that city and she has taken home the biggest prize money check that tennis has ever known 4.45 million dollars i think it was which is more than double what tiger woods won for winning the u.s masters this year it is one and a half million more than either simona halep or novak Djokovic took away from winning wimbledon this year and i mean it is a mind-boggling sum of money i mean i i personally think it's a pretty grotesque sum of money but symbolically it's it's of huge importance isn't it when you consider that she was handed that money with the billy jean king trophy and 
1973, Billie Jean King set up the WTA with the with her her colleagues in order to to promote equality, which took a long, long time coming at the Grand Slams in terms of equal prize money. And here we are now, in 2019, with this situation of women earning more money than than men in tennis for a couple of years anyway. It's, it, it is just a big moment, isn't it? The money is the message, as Billie Jean King always says. Mm, yeah. Yeah, money talks. It does. And it silences all the market for- forces. Yeah, it does. Boo-hickey. And incidentally, if, if ever there was a performance that could, that you felt should be getting a, a check like that, it was what Ash Barty put out there today, because she took on the defending champion, Alina Svitolina, who'd won 10 matches in a row. And that, that I think that the best description of what Barty did today in a match that was on paper not that competitive, I mean, it was very, very competitive in the first set to about 5-4, but the, for the most part of it, certainly the second set, it was a bit like watching one of those Federer matches when it ain't competitive, but you don't care. Mm-hmm. Because it's so good... It's so flamboyant. It's so full of shot making that feels like you are watching the the best singer or the best theatre performance. That's how it felt watching Bash Barty today. Who who's the best singer and the best theatre performance? Who are you specifically comparing her to here? Okay, well, <laughs> that's down to personal taste. <laughs> um, no, it's definitely Bruce Springsteen. There we go. Right. Okay. So Matt has spoken. It's Bruce Springsteen, everybody. Um, but what that's, she did, that's probably worth that comparison is probably worth more to her than the four point three million. She was just amazing, and it carries on from what we were saying yesterday when she turned it around against Pliskova, having to just withstand that broadside of power. Today, she went to, they, for the first nine games. They both just did what they do. Mm. Svitolina was a wall who was showing the most incredible movement and you know it was going to take a special performance to beat her and Barty was pulling out the box of tricks and there's essentially no way through Alina Svitolina's wall on that court like no one had been able to do it this tournament and in Singapore last year in similar conditions so Barty instead of going through it she thought I'll go around it and she comes up with what a great line. She comes and up, over it and over it and under it. She finds different ways to get through it that no one else is able to come up with because she's got such a complete game. She's got more shots than other players, and she's able to deploy them with such kind of ease. It just seems to flow from her racket when she's in the kind of mood she was in today. And I think we do talk a lot about her slice and her variety, but equally her forehand is very much one of the best in in tennis at the moment the way she dominates with it and she's now won titles on every single surface this year on grass hard clay and now indoor she's got such an adaptable game to all conditions and a slow court which people can't find a winning formula she does and this against a player who'd beaten a five out of five got a five love record against her the most recent match they played was in indian wells this year Barty had led 3-1 in that match and still been beaten in 3 hours and 12 minutes in, in Indian Wells. I mean, that is a, an epic loss, you know. And, and a, I'm, I'm a bit surprised that there wasn't more sort of collateral damage, really, mentally, for, for Barty to have to overcome than that. But I wonder if she saw it exactly as you saw it yesterday. She hasn't actually lost... She hadn't lost to Svitolina since she became 
the the person and the player that she did now made me think that maybe in her mind everything changed yeah. after Miami. I think you're right. I don't I think, think she right. carried that head to head into that match for for exactly that reason. The, I mean, she's simultaneously you could argue the best player in the world and the most improved player in the world. I mean, she's an incredibly talented player, but she's just become a champion this year. Well, that's it. I almost think she's made a double jump this year because a lot of the a lot of the things she's achieved this year, first and foremost, were things such as top ten debut, first Grand Slam quarter final, debut appearance at the WTA finals. For most people, that would be a good year, like a step forward. But she's made all of them sort of secondary accomplishments because she's turned top ten debut into world number one. She's turned. Grand Slam quarterfinal into winning the French Open and she's turned being at the WTA finals into winning it she's, she's made such a huge leap in 12 months and I think it's important to keep that perspective that this time 12 months ago Barty was not this player at all she no. has made such an improvement yeah and the second set I was I, I just was open mouthed at times at the way she decided to try to beat Svitolina. She was tying her up in knots. She there was one. There were a couple of rallies where she was getting pushed side to side. So instead of carrying on that formula, she just she'd drop on short. And this is clearly a tactic she'd worked out because backhand to backhand, Svitolina over the five match series between the two, Andrew Bettles, her coach, had said so. That's the weakness for for Barty. If you keep going backhand to backhand, you will win the match. If you go hard and and so she didn't give her those rallies at all. She she would slice short and force Svitolina to come forwards. And when she did, she would lob sometimes. And then when it came back, she would hit another one lower her ankles. Uh, and then she would sort of push a, a passing shot. She, the amount, I reckon she must have sort of paddled about five passing shots mm. past Svitolina today without any pace on them really at all. No topspin, none of that. And sometimes they they themselves were the winner, and sometimes they set up her next shot. She's always yeah. thinking several shots ahead. You described a we were we kind of recorded a podcast before even hitting record, <laughs> didn't we? And, and you were saying, David, she's a bit like a snooker player in that she's she's strategically thinking if I hit that ball there, I'll get this one back, and then I'll be able to finish the point. And that really, I think she's kind of alone in that. I mean, maybe Andreescu has a similar quality, but. Barty, I think, does it even better. You can, you can see her working these points out. Yeah, I mean, to me, I would say Andrescu is about... There's a flair to mm. her, her game. And a, a, there's a flamboyance and a, a power, maybe, that that Barty doesn't... She has some, some power on the forehand, but it's not quite like Andrescu, who's just a bigger frame, mm. etc. Yeah, I don't think anybody picks out shots to hurt the opponent quite the way I saw Barty using today without just a single pattern. There was a moment where she ran forwards to a, a drop shot and she looked like she'd basically got five options. She could have <laughs> rolled a topspin either way. She could have paddled one to the backhand with sort of forehand slice or she could have hit drop shot. Instead, she just sort of closed the face of the racket and just poked it down the line. <laughs> and Svitolina was just standing there completely wrong-footed and unable to move that way at all because she's already started to go one of the other directions. It's one of those where when you watch her from the privilege of the kind of TV angle, you almost think you should be able to tell what they're doing because you've got that height. But even when you're watching as a viewer, you can't tell what she's doing. So that's kind of, the effect is doubled 
and even more difficult for who she's playing, who is seeing it all in that kind of real time. Yeah, she she bamboozles, she constructs her own points, and it it's transferable. As I said, it works everywhere, which is such a such a skill to have in a in a sport which defines itself by kind of having that variation throughout the season and different different surfaces, different seasons, different conditions. Barty, Barty can do it everywhere. Catherine, Australian Open. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen Sam Stosa win the US Open and come to the Australian Open and just it, she just couldn't, couldn't be herself there. We've seen Amelie Moresmo the same. What about Barty? Different story. Different story altogether. I'm not saying she's necessarily going to win the Australian Open, although she has to be favourite as things stand at the moment. Really? You think? You, would you? Would world, you make her favourite? World number one, just won the most recent tournament, having beaten uh, three of the world, no, four of the world's top eight. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Andreescu has to be alongside her because she a, doesn't lose tennis matches. She doesn't lose tennis matches, fit. and she won the most recent hard court slam. Um, yeah, but yeah, essentially the favourite. Um, Oh, I mean, those, those those situations you described are, are unique to to those players. Ash Barty is a completely different specimen. I'm not saying she doesn't feel it; she's not going to feel any kind of pressure. But I I'm tr- struggling to think of an instance where I've really felt like Barty has struggled with pressure or visibly seemed to be um, suffering from from that element of, of things. I don't. I, yeah, can't she, think of any. She's so I I know it, it, the all the sort of the I suppose the cliches about staying present and all of that. All the sports person type lines. She embodies all of those. It's all she's not trying to sort of hypnotize herself into into behaving and thinking those ways. Staying present, staying in the moment, just compete, do your thing. You know, it's, we're a team. It's not just me out there. All of that stuff. There's a lot of players that that try and convince themselves mm. to think that way because it's effective. But it's all very real for her. That is, I think, just who she is. Mm. Um, and she, and, she and that makes it by a proper player at Australian Open. I mean, she was beaten by Petra Kvitova, who yeah, she, nearly won the title. Yeah, mm. she, she performed well in that quarterfinal. Uh, you know, it was a, and that in itself is a breakthrough for her, having reached that stage. So I'm so excited about... What a big deal Ash Barty is going to be in Melbourne and in in the lead up. I just that's going to be an absolute joy, I think. And I, I can't see even if she doesn't win it, I struggle to see a scenario where she she really underperforms. I really can't see that. Would you agree with me that the hype in Australia, in terms of the attention and the the newspaper front page coverage of 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 certainly of the Australian Open and of Australian tennis players is bigger than anywhere else that we go it's certainly bigger than the US Open it's certainly bigger than Wimbledon oh that's a really interesting discussion but I'm not sure it's bigger than France it's different it's different it's a lot more tabloidy Mm. it's very very tabloidy in Australia and that makes the Barty thing really interesting because she just there's nothing bad to write about her. Uh, I mean, there's nothing for tabloids to get their, their teeth into. For her. the most part, I think even with when you see players like 
Alex Diminor or so. I mean, okay, if people like Tomic and Curios, yeah, they get stuck into them. But the ones they like, they they really do big them up. They get on their on the bandwagon. You know, it's all about the bandwagon. I, mean, I feel like this year, I feel like I read a line kind of saying that Diminor could potentially win the Australian Open. <laughs> I mean, we were a million miles from that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a very. Uh, I think that highlights it well. I think maybe column inches wise. I think possibly. I mean, in terms of representation at the at the the French Open, I think there are more French French journalists at the French Open. You know, you've got L'Equipe, which is a dedicated sports, sports paper, newspaper, yeah. which doesn't exist anywhere else, and it really is a significant force. Um, but in terms of hype. I give it to Australia. Yeah, they're into the hype. I always think it's kind of difficult to be an Australian tennis player in so much as you start your season at home, which is a, which is a pressure in itself. And it's almost like if I don't perform here, well, that's it for another 12 months. But I do think that the fact that Barty is able to perform everywhere in all sorts of conditions might end up helping her in Australia because you kind of think this isn't the be-all and end-all of my season. Whereas for someone like, you know, a Dumont or a Kyrgios, you know, they've kind of had their best results a lot of the time in Australia. It feels like there's such a pressure on them to perform there and then. Whereas Barty, I think, in herself, maybe not from the outside, but in herself, might be able to take that pressure off because she knows she's done it elsewhere. I wonder if the Fed Cup, being in Australia, will help her in the next couple of weeks handle January. Surely. How can it not? It's It's almost like a rehearsal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, there's, and it's a different pressure because it's more about playing for your team rather than just playing for yourself. But Barty but kind of thinks of herself anyway. as a team, doesn't yeah. she? You know, the fact that she, she literally uses we to talk about we're going to lift this trophy. She's the only one lifting the trophy, yeah. but she thinks about her, that her helps team her, doesn't so it? much. It helps her to deal with the, the moment. Yeah, and there's a lot of players, if I heard them saying that, I think, what a load of whack. <laughs> but I don't with Ash Barty because no. I really believe that's how she feels about it she how looks, she sees it the other thing is in her interviews this week I just felt I felt all week how happy in her own skin she looks mm. that she's she's not there's no doubts this is me I mean there were great shots of her playing Aussie rules football on the court with her support team and you know doing all the sort of silly Andy Murray type games that you see pre-match on, on the court with a tennis ball playing football with it and whatever and yeah, I, I actually think she will handle it really well. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about the conditions, what sort of court we can expect. Can you remember how, how fast was the court this year? I feel like this year was a bit slower yeah. than it had been the previous two years, where they'd made conscious efforts to quicken it up. Um, I mean, she can handle any court. Surface. She can. That's the other thing, isn't it? She can. If you think about it, she's won on everything. Yeah. Oh, I can't. Can we go tomorrow? <laughs> She's from Queensland, isn't she? So she's not going to have any issues with heat. No, I mean she was saying in that video I saw that um, you know she used to get up and play her lessons at eight o'clock in the morning to avoid the heat um, when she was growing up. So she's well used to it all. And then she ended up playing for the Brisbane Heat. She did mm, in the big batch. She did. Yeah. So she's won the singles. The doubles was won by Kiki Mladenovic for a second year in a row and her partner, Tamir Babosh, who's now won three in a row. Uh, and it was one-sided. Ki- who, who did Babosh win it with two years ago? I can't remember. Who did Babosh play with? Obviously, sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, obviously, Mladenovic played with Caroline Garcia before Babosh. And that went up in flames. Yeah. 
We will, we will, be, we will be googling this, folks. Don't you worry; uh, it's absolutely fine. Um, the so anyway, ultimate podcast faux pas. So, so she beat in the final. Sorry. She beat in the final. Chase uh, uh, away and Barbara Stritzova. Um and uh, so yeah, champions again. I mean, they. What was lovely? I mean, that Medvedevich had got her whole family with her all week long. Her mum and dad were there. It was so euphoric. I mean, look. I think if you win a million dollars between you in doubles you, you, you feel pretty euphoric but yeah because you were talking with Joe Jury on commentary about the, the way that the doubles prize money has gone up so much as well what was it Joe Jury did she $24,000 between them is what they got <laughs> and um, so, uh, yeah so that has gone up significantly as well decent uplift um, so Babosh in 2017 was partnering Lavachkova Lavachkova yeah who's, of course uh, I'll be honest, that was not on the tip of my tongue. No, mine. Uh, uh, Yeah, she's a very good doubles player. (laughs) So, yeah, well done to them. Uh, It was only about a 58-minute final, um, which I think is about what the men's final in Paris was in the singles, Catherine. Is that right? Yeah, uh, 58 minutes of Denis Shapovalov humiliating me. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine gave it the big build-up last night, um, and never getting drawn in again. So what what happened? For those of us like me who didn't get to see it, I saw a, a couple of games. What happened? Shapovalov was really poor. It was a real regression of a performance, and I know there are certain explanations for that. It's a it's a situation he's never been in before. First Masters final. Some have speculated that not playing yesterday the walkover against Nadal um, disrupted his rhythm although I really question the validity of of that argument I I mean how can not having to beat Nadal and Djokovic back to back be a be a detriment to your chances of winning a tournament Um, end of a long season etc etc but and him being 20 years old etc but it's not his first rodeo. It's, it's, you know, he's, he's, he's not Novak Djokovic. He's not fifth. It's not his fiftieth Masters thousand final. But I, th- I think it's okay to be expecting more from Denis Shapovalov now. Was, was he prevented? He really from, failed to deliver. Was today. he prevented from delivering? Given Djokovic is so good. Yeah, to an extent, Djokovic was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I'm not saying that had Denis Shapovalov delivered, he would have won today. Absolutely not. Probably not. Probably wouldn't have won, but he could have done a lot better. And it just, it was so naive. It was such a naive performance. And So what was he actually doing? Just hitting the ball hitting out, out a lot. Just hitting out, making bad decisions, um, not making any returns at all. Well, that was the thing. That was the big um, talking point pre-match, wasn't it? How much underused Nish Shapovalov has improved his returns the ability to chip the ball back into play and block it and block it and we had seen evidence of that in previous matches there was zero evidence of that against yeah. Djokovic and part a lot of that is Djokovic's serving he was hitting his spots hitting the corners he 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 has been serving brilliantly all week should be said and and you can see the delight on Goran Ivanovic's face without doubt he's had a, an influence on that he is serving brilliantly. But even Djokovic at his best serving, 
you should be making returns. Mm. This is not Ivo Karlovic. Yeah. <laughs> Shapovalov should have been making more returns. And he had a he had a very very small moment in the second set where he got a break point after he was already down a break. Yeah, this is what counted as a moment. Folks. This was a moment, a break point, and. He missed two returns in a row and then made an unforced error and lost three points in a row and that was the game. And that, and that was the match, that, and it felt That moment inevitable. was a little bit of a slight lapse from Djokovic mm. more than yeah. inspiration. It was a it? microcosm of their first ever meeting. This was this was their fourth, all of them been won by Djokovic, their first ever meeting, which was earlier this year, the Australian Open, um, when uh, you, you watched that match courtside, didn't you, Matt? Uh, I took my seat with a whole lot of excitement and <laughs> it evaporated after about three games when was, I thought Was it hot that day? It, yes, but the media seats were nicely in the shade Okay. Um, and I just I remember thinking that Djokovic was a tennis player who was balanced and Shapovalov was a tennis player who was flailing about all over the place and literally hitting shots and falling backwards. That was my, that's my overarching memory of that match, the way Djokovic was able to create as much power just by kind of getting his momentum going forward and kind of blocking the ball and being stable. And Shapovalov was kind of all arms and legs and not really creating much more power than Djokovic or doing anything more effective. And Djokovic swatted him aside. Shapovalov got a set, got a moment, almost as though he was kind of happy with that. And then Djokovic ran through the fourth set, six love. And you asked me earlier this week whether I thought Shapovalov had made major strides. And the reason now I think it's only strides is because he's not hurting the top players in the same way that a Tsitsipas or a Medvedev are, hurt, are hurting Djokovic. Okay, not this week because Tsitsipas kind of got blown off the court, but he has done this this year. Yeah. Shapovalov still looks quite but, a way away from Yeah, if you watch today's match for Djokovic and the Australian Open match, I think you would struggle to see progress. And mm, I'm, not exactly. saying, I'm not saying he hasn't made progress because we have seen evidence of it in other matches this week, obviously the, the, the breakthrough in Stockholm. But... There were, today there was no evidence of it and, and failing to, to produce on the biggest stage against the top players you know we're, it's, it's a compliment to him that we're talking about him in, in these terms he expects that of, of himself it would be it'd be worse if we were saying oh well he's, he's not beating Djokovic but no one's expecting him to challenge Djokovic because then you're putting him in a different bracket I think we're, we're holding him to account because of what we want and expect from him I think, and he's not well, he didn't deliver today. And it, you said about Barty earlier in our pre-podcast podcast uh, that she doesn't play shots, she plays points, which is the inverse of Denis Shapovalov. And today he played the wrong shots. And, I, and I, I, w- I was looking at him thinking, stop thinking, Denis. Stop having thoughts. You, you... I, who was it that said the thing? And I don't think... I think this is the wrong way to express it, but there was a legendary tennis player, I'm going to say maybe McEnroe or Connors, that said to be a top player, and he was probably trying to give himself a compliment in the process of saying this, to be a top tennis player, you either have to be really smart or really dumb. Who was it that said that? (laughs) I don't know, but it's a great line. I tried to Google it earlier, and Google's denied all knowledge of it. I obviously haven't put the right been put the right words in. I think it was probably said in the pub. I'm pretty sure it was either McEnroe or Connors. Um, um, and I don't, I don't think that's the right way of, 
expressing it in terms of intelligence and lack thereof. I, I, but I think there's a there's a grain of something in there about thinking. There are players that I feel feel confident in having thoughts on a tennis court. For example, take the big four. I would put Rafael Nadal in the not having so many thoughts on a tennis court category it's very very Rafael Nadal sees tennis very very simply he knows what he's doing out there sees tennis ball hits tennis tennis ball he knows how to use his game to the maximum stay in the moment compete as hard as he can he doesn't allow himself to have outside thoughts no exactly It's, it's not necessary it's not helpful it's very very simple Andy Murray Novak Djokovic Roger Federer they're problem solvers they're astute Tacticians, they're 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 having thoughts out there. They're problem solving, um, and I trust them to have thoughts. I'm fine with them having thoughts. I want Denis Shapovalov to have fewer thoughts. Do you want him to go on pre-programmed by yeah. Mikhail Yuzhny? Yeah, I do. I want Mikhail Yuzhny to drill something into him that's in his muscle memory, so that he can go out there on the court with it just in his veins. And just do some kind of hypnosis so he can just be like Nadal and be in the moment, which I know is easier said than done. I get that. Download, you know, headspace, whatever. <laughs> um, just stop having thoughts but because the, they don't work. The, 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 <laughs> You're making the wrong decision. Also, and, and I would say I'd probably say the same for, for Zverev. And I was thinking about the next gen, and I was thinking, oh, if I if I sort of inadvertently struck upon something here, I want Zverev to have fewer thoughts. Medvedev, I trust to have thoughts. Right. Yeah, he figures things out. He figures he, things out. He finds your weakness and he hones in on it. Yeah, and he identifies what he's not doing wrong, what he's doing wrong, and eliminates it, and and that's fine. It's just. I don't like the way you're looking at me. At, it sounded really good well, when Matt and I were discussing it earlier before you got here. Am I trusted to have thoughts or not? Look at the look on her face. You have thoughts at three o'clock in the morning, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I had a couple of corkers <laughs> last night. Anyway, you'll be hearing about those on the Tennis Podcast it, in a few weeks. It feels like sometimes, as you said, Catherine, we're being kind of harsh on Shapovalov or kind of we want more from him. But because we know it's there, like... I think I put out on Twitter that the most exciting thing, from my perspective, to happen to the next gen would be Shapovalov realising his potential. Why? Because as much as I like the way a lot of the others play, especially Sitsipas, I love the all-court nature of his tennis, it doesn't make me gasp in the way that Shapovalov yeah. does. When, he, when he's on, like he was against Monfils... Was he on balance against Monfils? Yes, he was. He wasn't falling backwards, hitting shots. He was... He'd made that progress at that level, he but he hasn't made the progress at the level up, which Sitsipas kind of has made. He has the potential to play the tennis that Dominic Team played against Diego Schwartzman mm. in the Vienna final, which literally made me gasp. Yeah. yeah. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Uh, Novak Djokovic, we talk about Ash Barty being a point player. I feel like Djokovic has become the arch point player mm. in yeah. recent years. He has worked out patterns and he's also become incredibly good at winning points with... Remember when he beats Zverev by dropping the ball short repeatedly, I think in Rome, mm. somewhere, somewhere like that. Because whenever I see Zverev against Djokovic, I sometimes think, oh, you know, Zverev can probably go toe-to-toe with him. You know, big shots, great yeah. backhand, big serve. So what does Djokovic do? Doesn't give him any of that. And Starts I, dropping it short. And I think that part of his game is really underrated it's, it's mm. easy to think of Djokovic as a bit of a ball machine but he, he's not he does create angles but he used to be that he used to he's, be that he has like properly developed his game mm. he's not just a, a returner who puts it on the baseline and drills it's not it's not as it's not as artistic to no. look at as it is with other players no it doesn't make you gasp but, but it is in its efficiency it it makes you your mind boggle in its in its own right in, in that way. He, he's having thoughts, and they're good thoughts. <laughs> yeah, they work. Those and thoughts. there's, I feel like the two keys for Djokovic now, probably for the rest of his career, really, are number one, his fitness. We've seen he's had little niggles this year with his shoulder and his elbow, and not quite allowed him to play the tennis he wants. And number two, his focus. And I think he's he's pretty much always going to be focused at the slams now we're just going to because he's in the grand slam race he's going to be focused but i really think that having the year and number one to go for has kind of sharpened his mind he's a he's a different player to what we saw in shanghai even tokyo which he kind of cruised through well what's the point differential now for the end of the year 640 and there's a there's what 1500 available to the winner of the o2 so yeah and nadal is a big question mark so I think he's going to do it if they played each other in the final Nadal is the champion right 
Uh, oh, he's yeah. the number one. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. But if it, well, Nadal, as long as Nadal goes through the group undefeated, maybe I'm not if, sure. But if Nadal that. doesn't reach the the final and Djokovic wins it, I think that that would give it yes. to Djokovic. Yes, it? that's right. Yeah. I think Djokovic is going to do it. Wow. And I, I, I just there's just a different vibe about him. It feels yeah, like he's kind of, he's playing a similar sort of tennis. Maybe not quite at the level that he played at the Australian Open, but certainly... I don't think it's far off. It's not far off. I really he's don't. He's really playing well. Um, I also think being sick this, this week has focused his mind. He's known there's no, there's no room for mm. um, expending any extraneous energy. Because even in... I think even in tournaments that he's been brilliant at this year you've still seen the odd match where he's looked irritable or mm, the odd yeah. set where he's looked really irritable and you've thought um, he, he just hasn't looked like that sort of impenetrable winning machine for, for a period They're, apart from in the the first round against Quarantin Mute where I think he really was ill um, since then it's been right just I, I, I can't afford I can't afford to expend any energy that's not required here um, and it's been so so business like and, and I think I'm right in saying that he hasn't lost a tie break since Wimbledon when he lost uh, I think it was Hubert Hercatch got him in a tie break in like Hubert the Hercatch. second or third round and since then he's won every single tie break so starting with those three one against Federer in the in the final of Wimbledon and as you said Catherine that that's got to make you feel invincible yeah. in tie breaks, winning those three without hitting an unforced error. You're just going to think, this is my, this is my turf. Do you know this, uh, this Grand Slam race? What's he on, 16? Nadal, 19, Federer, 20. It kind of passed me by in a way in the last few weeks that Nadal is that close. Um, and I, I heard in your studio Greg Rosensky saying, Nadal's going to reach 20 next year. You know, just... just Casually putting it out. Casually, but then you yeah. think, well... Probably, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. he'll probably win the French Open. I mean, where, where's it going to end up? We're, I know we've Hang had on, this. How have we come back to this again? <laughs> anyway. Can I divert your attention from the greatest of all time debate? Yes, go ahead. Can we mention the uh, doubles? Yeah, Paris? I was going to, I was getting on to that. Go on. It was totes emotion. Totes emotion. What, hold on, what, what does that mean? What's that mean? Totes emotion. For my mum, she won't yeah, know what that means. Yeah, it was totally emotional. Oh, okay, um, <laughs> Pierre Hugobert and uh, Nicolas Mau uh, won over Karen Hatchinov and Andrei Rublev, their first Paris Masters title, their seventh, seventh Masters overall. Um, and it was just, just lovely. I thought they broke up. They did, but... Um, didn't Andy Murray get in, in the way? In a line that I'm recycling from the Prime coverage that uh, it was not received well by Greg Rosetsky, he looked at me like I'd lost my marbles. If you love someone, set them free. <laughs> that is what Nicolas Maou did to Pierre Hugobert. Have you got a video of Greg's face? <laughs> I want to see that. But Perplexed. But the thing is, Maou wasn't happy about it. Yeah, but it... But but that's love, isn't it? Yeah. He, 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 it hurt him, but he knew that he 
had to. So let me get this right. It's all come full circle. Yeah. A bear, a bear had given up doubles and walked out on the hoop. Oh well, no, well, that's the. No, he had he had decided to focus on singles, and He'd that walked meant out on walking out on Mahu. Right, he'd given up doubles effectively, and then Andy Murray walks up and says, "Well, I wouldn't mind playing doubles with you," and he said, "Absolutely fine." I'm having a bit of that, yeah. And then that didn't and there work were all those well. really emotional quotes about it where and, and, the, and the funny thing is Mau then got to the Wimbledon final with Roger Vasselin <laughs> <laughs> so what's happened to Roger Vasselin <laughs> he was only a where's he he was a stand he was the rebound guy yeah I understand that but where have is he have you never watched like Dawson's Creek or anything David is he over this there is, in that this corner is, <laughs> this is a a well worn narrative so I want to know what's happened to Roger Vasselin talk about <laughs> yourselves he was uh, he was a MacGuffin, wasn't he? He was a plot device but in I... the ultimate love story of Pierre Rougabert and Nicolas Mahou. And before you think that I'm just um, creating something where it doesn't exist here, during the the speeches this today, this was amazing. Uh, Pierre Rougabert was giving his lovely, heartfelt um, trophy acceptance speech, um, paying tribute to. Everyone and his dad, um, you know, saying I'd, I hadn't won a match in three months and my team stuck with me. And uh, Nicola Mayu dropped to his knees and it, it looked for a moment like he was going to propose. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Well, and it's like their, their love is stronger for each other given all that they've been through this year. And yeah. it was like a bear was. Herbert was taking responsibility for it. I learned a new French word, just be fautif. He said, I'm at fault for this, for, for what happened to us this year. And oh. this was, this was kind of like my redemption in a way, you know, just making it all right again. Because Bessie is such a big deal for the French players. Yeah. And Mao was talking about how he used to sit in the stands. And Oh, that was really emotional. Mao uh, in his speech said, because um, obviously Guy Forget was standing there, tournament director. How's he got so many jobs? He's tournament director of Bercy and the French Open. Because he is cool. They two, showed it, they, two jobs, Guy. They did show a video of him from '91, and you said uh, when he won the title, I think it was '91. You, you said, "How come he looks younger now than he did then?" <laughs> and he does. He really does. Twenty-eight years um, ago. Nicolas Maus said that he was in the stands with his dad watching Guy Forget beat Goran Ivanovic here I can't remember the the year that he said but anyway he remembers you know as a little kid that was one of his first tennis watching memories and he said I hope there are some young kids in the stands just now that have watched us today and are similarly inspired and oh it was and his own son was on court <laughs> oh Nathaniel who is adorable it had everything it was an epic it was Shakespearean. I mean, this is this is magnificent, right? I'm still a bit worried about Roger Vasselin, <laughs> right? Who has gone from Wimbledon with Mahu, having lost in five just heartbreaking sets, and from there, he's gone on and he's played uh, in Washington with with Mahu. He's played in Canada with him. Uh, he's played in uh, Cincinnati with Austin Krychek, and then look at listen to the, all these parts. Come down, isn't all it? The, all the, all these partners he's had. He managed, to, he managed to get a little bit of a run out with Mahu in uh, Moselle, and they got to the final there. And he got to uh, he got to the final in Japan, the Japan Open, and he won that with Mahu. So that was all lovely. Oh. But then since then, he's been ditched. 
because he goes to Stockholm and he's playing with Henry Continent. He goes hey, to well, Henry Continent's a yeah, but, but, but Pierre Hugebert turns up and then suddenly Roger Vasselin's out and now he's playing with Gasquet in the Swiss indoors and he only gets to the round of 16. It sounds um, like he's sowing his wild oats, it's fine. And then he turns up to Paris and he plays with Jürgen Meltzer. So he's playing with everybody and his dog now. Who knew Jürgen Meltzer wasn't retired? <laughs> uh, round of 16. So, you know, you shouldn't be, shouldn't be feeling sorry for Mahou, you should be feeling sorry for Roger Vasselin. Because he's the one who... The chain reaction is the one... He's got hurt. No, no. No but one feels got, sorry for the rebound guy. No. Have you never watched a... He no, was, he you're was missing lucky to get point. in in the first yeah. place. Talking of uh, plot, yeah. plot devices, uh, I was watching Succession last night and Catherine said to me, there is no Basil exposition. Do you know what that means? No. So neither did I. So characters. It, yeah. Catherine sent it to me. Uh, sent me the. Um, she sent me the Wikipedia definition. So this is even even more niche it's, it's, than the Urban Dictionary. I this, think it's a Kermode and Mayo specific, like Wikipedia. A Basil exposition is a character from the Austin Powers movies whose main role is to act as a device to provide the audience with the background to the film's plot. It means when one of the characters explains a load of plot backstory yeah. as if it's normal conversation. And she and says when, okay. when such a character appears in a film unironically un it is often a sign of clumsy writing. Yeah. So this was Catherine bigging up succession because there were none of those, uh, which is problematic for somebody like me who could kind of do with one just to understand <laughs> what's going on. Um, but anyway, I was concentrating very, very closely and occasionally checking with Catherine what's happening. Have you made it through a full episode yet without falling asleep? No. <laughs> no. But, you know, I, I, you know... You have a train journey soon. A bit like with DVDs, you can rewind. So it's quite good. So there's my uh, my recommendation. Uh, the people playing Monopoly have gone. Um, the Bricklayers Arms is advertising for cricketers at the moment. If anybody's interested, and singers, Sunday for shanties, Sunday and midweek social cricket side friendly matches only. Anyone wanting to play, please contact Chris Locke. I feel like we might so, need to alert them that that's that's an out of date sign. Season runs until September the 29th. <laughs> oh dear. It's, it's, that's been and gone. Okay, yeah. sorry tennis podcast listeners, you can't play cricket after all. So, uh, that brings, I think, another one of our episodes to a close. We have the Fed Cup coming up, folks. It's going More to be Ash Barty. Australia Excellent. against France. The teams are already there. I've seen Caroline Garcia in business class showing off. It's good, it's good isn't it? Being a tennis player. I really have an issue with any social media postings that reveal that you're in anything other than economy class anywhere. <laughs> Quite right. Um, so anyway, that's going to happen, and it all starts on Friday. We're going to have a daily... No, it starts on Saturday. Saturday and Sunday, but we are, our first podcast will be from Preview Day, which is Friday. Uh, more podcasts than you can throw a Friday again. All right. Yeah? Catherine's looking chastened. <laughs> Given that we've brought up Bruce Springsteen, I went to see <laughs> I went to see his excellent film earlier this week in which he said to to keep was your Was it excellent? Oh, it was really good. Yeah. yeah. To keep mm. um Look at keep, his little face <laughs> Tennis and Bruce Springsteen. How have I managed this? Um, to keep your audience engaged, you need to do two things. You need to make them feel at home. 
I need to and you and I need to surprise them. So I feel like by doing dailies from all these other events, we are keeping them, making them feel at home by with dailies, but surprising them by doing new events. So there's a tenuous Bruce Springsteen link, but I think it works. I think, is, is Matt allowed to think? Not. <laughs> it sounds like he is. Yeah, Matt is the Daniil Medvedev right. of the tennis podcast. podcast. Okay, right. Hang on, no, I'm the Daniil Medvedev of the tennis podcast. Okay. You're the Sitsipas? I'll take that. Yeah. Who's David? Monica Nikolescu. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Uh, and with that, uh, we will come back to you with Fed Cup news when the draw has been made, when we've hopefully got to hear from some of the players, when Ash Barty's got over her, her jet lag, and, uh, and we're ready to go with the Fed Cup final, which I think is going to be an absolute belter. Um, two great nations packed with, with players. I mean, Kiki Mladenovic is going to be playing doubles as well. There's so much to look forward to there. ATP finals as well next week. We're going to be daily from that. Uh, Matt's going to be on site with us. We've got the Davis Cup finals as well. I don't know Rackton. how we're going to surprise people next year because there's literally no, no, more, no more podcasting available. <laughs> I've run out of extension ideas. Uh, no, for, for this year, for this year. We're going to surprise people next year by doing fewer podcasts. <laughs> um, but don't let that stop you from crowdfunding us on the 2nd of December if you would like to uh, back us so that we can produce what is looking like getting up to 130 podcasts for the year this year uh, if you'd like to see something Feels like, like it. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to Bruce would be proud. Hear similar next year, then you can back us uh, in our Kickstarter when we launch it on the 2nd of December. If you want a reminder, if this wasn't a good enough reminder for you, scroll down in your notes on your phone and, uh, and click Support the Tennis Podcast, and we'll send you one reminder on the 2nd of December when we launch. Uh, we have been executive produced by tennisballs.com, brought to you in association with the Telegraph, executive produced by our lovely Rio with a Y. And we will be back for a Fed Cup final preview in a few days' time, and we can't wait! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.